You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and I am very glad that you guys joined us today as we talk about everything art, music, and entertainment. Now, we have a different show. It's actually a lot to talk about in just a little bit of time because we're going to do a flashback AME where we go back in time to where the AME radio show used to be called The the World of Art, and we feature one of those interviews. And this week, we're featuring Sid Veda. You probably remember him from the Metro PCS commercials, Tech and Talk, and we had a great time talking to him about everything that he has going on in his life, the Tech and Talk mantra, and so much more. And then we have Muni Arone coming on, and she is a humanitarian and a philanthropist, and she created a art award that I think is just spectacular and what it does to help people. Plus, she also uses art as therapy, something I've been talking about for years now. So we're going to be talking to her about all that she has going on in her life and how she uses art therapeutically and to make the world a better place. So I'm very excited to talk to you to, to them, and they're excited to talk to you here as well. Also, um, please check out our website, www.theamemagazine.com. Check us out on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the AME Experience. Twitter's at Dowd Studios. You can find us on Snapchat and Instagram with my name, Jason Dowd. And you can also get our app, which is really cool for both the Apple and the Android platforms. Just go to our website, click on the, on the, the logo, and download it for free. And it gives you an up-close experience right on your phone or tablet. And we get to even send free push notifications, which means you don't pay a dime for them. And we get to give you some of the most prominent information that's impacting the AME radio show and the television show and the magazine anytime we, anytime we get that, that opportunity. So it keeps you up to date and you don't have to do much, which is, which is amazing. Okay, guys. So before we go to our flashback AME sh- segment here, it is the divisional round of the playoffs. Hopefully your team's still in it. And whoever wins out of these games, we're going to go to the AFC and the NFC Championship next week to compete for the Super Bowl. So this is an exciting time. It's getting down to the crunch. And um, the, the games are only going to get harder, and the teams are only going to get better. So this is probably one of the most exciting times for sports fanatics in football. All right, guys. Let's go right now to the flashback AME show where we're going to be featuring Sid Veda. great guest on the line for you today. His name is Sid Beta. You may better recognize him by his screen name, Chad, from the Metro PCS Tech and Talk. And uh, welcome, Sid, to, to the show, and how are you doing today? Thank you. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So um, I want to kind of get to uh, have everybody get to understand you and learn about you and talk about all the cool things you, that you have going on right now. Um, I see that you actually started off with uh, going to school at Boston University and you got an MBA in finance. What made you want to go into finance? And, and after, you got out of the, after you got out of school, what made you get into the line of work you are in now? Actually, I was a, I was a math major as an undergrad and I was, a, I was an actuary um, last college and uh, that wasn't for me. <laughs> and I, I actually was interested in uh, possibly teaching college and I went back to, went back to that school. Um, Lots of things happened, uh, you know, silly decisions along the way. Basically, I have an MBA that I have never really used. Um, that's not that's not really right. I, I have a, I have a job in finance. Basically, from after getting that MBA in Boston University, I, I got a job in New York um, in support for a financial software company, which I actually still have today. So it's 
kind of convenient. So what got you into into going into acting and comedy? Well, I acted in a bunch of plays as a kid, and then the last one was in high school, and then um, when I moved to New York, um, I, I somehow randomly started singing Rage Against Machine songs with, with cover bands in Hoboken, and I kind of got the stage bug again, and I met some people in New York who put me in plays, and I started doing stand-up and improv and stuff, and just kind of, uh, just kind of fed itself, and like you know, I'd meet people who want to put me in a play because they thought I was funny and this other thing or whatever, and it, that, that just kind of snowballed in New York, um, which uh, which is a lot of fun. Now I know that you're actually uh, you you do acting, but I, I've heard that you've done stand-up comedy. Is that true? And and if so, how did you um, how did you decide to get into that field of uh, entertainment? Actually, um, stand-up, I started in New York. Um, my one friend who cast me in, uh, like, a, do- a couple dozen, well, like a dozen or so readings uh, in the years that I was in New York, she uh, she was, thought it was funny, and, and she knew that I was, stand-up is something that I had been thinking about. And there was a, I think it was the South Asian Media Award. It was, it was an organization uh, uh, celebrating, like, South Asians in, in, in media, like, in news and everything. And for their like awards banquet, they had they had like uh, three stand-ups, and they were like pros. And one of them had to back out, so they asked her if she knew anyone. She asked me if I do it, and from then on, I started doing stand-up in New York. Um, I tried continuing that here in LA, um, but I've kind of taken a break from that for like for the last year or so. I uh, haven't really written anything that's made me want to say it <laughs> in a while. But uh, but yeah, stand-up is something I have enjoyed for for about ten years now. And what was the hardest thing for you as a stand-up com- comedian? That <laughs> it's that is by far the uh, the uh, the most vulnerable um, I've I've felt in this industry. Like like if you're if you're doing a play, I mean that that's still immediate gratification. Still that's still immediate pressure and everything. But it's something that you rehearse, you know, over and over again. You got castmates here. You have all this other stuff that, that, that you know you can bank on, like this story and everything. Um, you know, on screen, take as many takes as you need, need but, you know, stage, man, if they don't laugh, that silence is deafening. That, uh, yeah, like, that's part, I think that's part of the reason that, that I haven't really been doing as much lately is just that the, that feeling uh, is so emptying that it doesn't really make the, the good times on stage worth it. <laughs> Now I know as a comedian, one of the biggest one of the biggest things that you need to create is your own identity, and you know, like uh, Larry the Cable Guy has get her done and all that kind of stuff, and the, and the rednecks type of style. What was it for you? I guess well, when I started doing stand up, and and when, when I started when I got back on stages, like um, that was around two thousand two in New York, and um, back then the vast majority of of roles for like South Asians, you know, for just brown folks in general were, you know, this is right after 2001, you know, 24 had just come out. There were a lot of roles for terrorists, obviously. And there were a lot of, like, pigeonholed types of roles um, back then. And, and, like, getting started in stand-up in 2002, that's right around the time that the Access of Evil comedy tour began. And, like, like I was at that, that first show that they, they had at Stand-Up New York. And it was, like, you know, celebrating... These, these comics who are from places that are, you know, right now all over the news for these horrible reasons, but these these are just Americans, you know, just like anyone else. And um, so a lot of the material then was, was for me, it was, it was autobiographical and, you know, just like, you know, talking about growing up Indian in America. Um, I've, I've, that, that's another thing that I've shied away from. I'm not a big fan of, like, stereotype type humor and, and, and jokes like that. Um, but in the beginning, yeah, that, it, it's always easiest to to fall back on you know my own life. <laughs> now, as an as an Indian descent, how uh, how did your family embrace your your uh, ambition to become an actor or get into the comedy? Did they have any Did they have any objections to that? Did, was that something you really had to had to overcome that that boundary to to do what you wanted to do, or were they pretty uh, pretty? Did they embrace your your um, did they embrace your your decisions and and support you along along the way? They completely support. I, I come from actually a very very artistic family, 
my uh, my sister has been dancing and now teaching Indian dance, Indian classical dance and like salsa merengue and like she's been a dancer her whole life. My mo- my mom and dad they both you know uh, have like sang and troops and stuff. And uh, when when I was a kid, um, my dad and his brothers used to write uh, like plays for these Indian American functions that we'd have like like in Philly back in you know when I was growing up. They'd have there are these organizations that would bring together you know the South American the South Asians that were in the area and you know back in the back in the early 80s it was a lot more difficult <laughs> to find and then uh, uh, you know bring together uh, South Asians in, like especially in the Philadelphia or Reading area and um, so at those things like my dad and his brothers they'd, they'd write these little plays for that they'd make their kids go into and you know I mean I guess we liked it I. I I, like, I I was always so nervous being on stage, but like that, those are my first experiences being on stage and being in plays and stuff. And, and looking back, I loved it, but I was just like so scared by it. So let's kind of get into some of the other the newer things that you've done. Um, I see here that you were a cast member in Miracle uh, Miracle Mile Girl, which was accepted to this year's Cannes Film Festival. Uh, what was your part in that, and what's that uh, what's that movie about? Um, actually, yeah, it just it, I think we played in the, it's, it's, it's uh, in the uh, Shorts Festival of Cannes, and I, I play the boss who basically fires the the lead, uh, the, the main character in the first episode. So there, there are three episodes that went to the Shorts Festival, and in the pilot episode, I basically fire the lead character. And they're, they're gonna have they're gonna have my character come back um, for it, it's basically a series about these these uh, struggling actresses in L.A. And I'm one of those obstacles. <laughs> um, and it, actually, I was cast by uh, by a friend who I had um, acting class with. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited for them going to Cannes. I'm really excited for what you know what they can get there. Um, yeah, that that's been absolutely blessed. What was your uh, initial reaction to hearing that the, that these uh, that these pilots went to Cannes Film Festival? Uh, I was excited. I was, I, I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised because the only thing that I, I hadn't gotten to see the uh, all three episodes yet that they had produced. I, I, all, my only exposure to it was just the scene that I had uh, shot for the pilot. So, but so far, my role was, you know, was, was a little bit smaller. And then when I heard it was going to Cannes, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for them. And then they're going to bring it back and they're just going to try and we're going to try and turn it into a, you know, ongoing series. So when do when do you think the uh, next pilot will be will be released or taped, and uh, what station or, or networks are looking to are you guys looking to pick it up on? For that one, for Miracle Mile Girls, um, I'm not sure. That that's actually like I, I'm I'm an actor in it, and you know that I was, but I'm not in uh, I'm not involved with their distribution and where they're trying to put it. You know, if they're trying to make a channel out of it, and Funny or Die or whatever. But I do know there's I mean if you go to the website Miracle Mile Girls, you can find all that all the information uh, with the series and the videos that are up so far. Um, I have a couple other webisode series uh, that I'm doing with friends that I'm pretty excited about, but it's just like, it's like fun stuff that, you know, we're just trying to get up on the, on the funny or die or whatever. Um, and then other than that, um, there are a couple treatment pitches that I'm trying to work on. I'm working on the show that I want to develop. And then, and then the other guy from those Metro PCS commercials that we did, um, uh, Unjul, the guy who played Ranjit in those commercials, he and I have another show that we've been trying to develop, and he's had it uh, in front of some people. So we're, uh, we're we're hopeful to have something new to work on soon. Now you mentioned web webisodes, which is kind of like one of those for anybody that doesn't know, it's one of those TV uh, segments or like these little clips that you guys put up on YouTube or any of these other sites that people can go ahead go ahead and watch. Um, how important have you noticed for your own career has Tools like YouTube and, and all these other places that allow you to make your own little short films or your short, you know, pilots for TV shows or just to get out your comedy or acting abilities. Uh, how has this helped you in in uh, your career? Oh, it's great. I'm like just from just from word of, word of mouth alone. Like you know, I'll do these these series that my friends are writing. And they they have these ideas. Like like I had a couple of friends approach me a couple of years ago. Um, at the bar that I met them all at, and they were just like, "Okay, we have this idea for this this series, and we have you in mind for the for the crazy guy." I'm like, "All right, yeah, I'm down." <laughs> and then a year and a half later, we started you know, we started we started filming those, and that's like one of those series that is just a lot of fun to do. And, um, one of those things that just develops over time, and and we'll find people 
just you know, in in um, amongst you know my friends or whatever, like the different jobs that we'll have, we'll just we'll be able to you know, find new people to to uh, uh, to work on whatever whatever projects anyone you know might happen to have uh, available. Basically, I just like working, you know, <laughs> even if even if it's for friends for free or you know for SAG for money, I just you know want to be doing something. Awesome. Well. Uh, let's kind of we're kind of getting into about the halfway mark of the show, so I want to give anybody the opportunity that's listening out there if they want to. You can call in and talk to uh, to Sid. The phone number to call in is at three four seven two one five nine five one two. If he is talking though, uh, we will we will just hold on the line, and as soon as he's done talking, we will uh, pipe you in so you can ask a question. So uh, now that we're into the second half of the show, let's kind of talk about some of the some of the more major things that you have done or more popular things that you've done. Um, one of them seems to be uh, Men in Black 3, that you were actually cast uh, as a part in that movie. Um, everybody knows Men in Black, and it's been probably one of the most popular movies that have ever come out in uh, Hollywood. How did you get that role? How did you get your role, and what role did you play in that movie? That was so much fun. That was, uh, I played the sandwich vendor. Um, actually, it, the, the role, the, uh, I'm sorry, the audition originally was for Hot Dog Vendor. And then I think the day of the audition, I got a call from the manager. She was like, "They changed it to Savlaki Vendor." So I went, I went in like, in like kind of middle. East. I, I went in like, uh, um, in New York clothing. Like you know, I, you know, I lived in New York for five years. I like, it doesn't matter what kind of food you're buying. I know what they're, you know, they're gonna be wearing jeans and a hoodie or whatever. And and everyone else went went in like this Middle East garb that I normally would have for for you know for a lot of other auditions or whatever. And, and they, they liked they liked the New York thing. They they said bring the uh, Headband that I had in my head and bring and don't shave the scruff. So, so New York worked for that. Um, and basically, I spent a day shooting with uh, Barry Sonnenfeld and Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, and that didn't suck. Tommy Lee Jones threatened to slap me at one point. It was awesome. It was, it was a really fun day. It was like a, it was a, it was it was nice to see see how some people work. Now, kind of tell us a little bit about Will Smith or, or Tommy Lee Jones from what you got to some of your experiences that you had with them on set. Wow, they were great. I was um, it, when I first met them, I was I was so nervous to meet Tommy Lee Jones because he's been an actor I admire for for years. But I was absolutely giddy to meet Will Smith because I've been a fan since I was a kid. You know, we're from America. Like he's from Philly. I'm from Reading. It's about an hour and a half away. Um, you know, like I don't know. I've just been a fan since uh, for for a long enough time that I was really excited to meet him, and I was kind of nervous. I was like, you know, trying to prepare myself. And I, I didn't want to gush. You know, I didn't want to do anything like embarrassing or anything. And and when I got to set, one of the PAs came up to me and said, "Will Smith wants to meet you." And I was like, "What? <laughs> That's kind of cool." <laughs> so like, I, I saw him coming over, and you know, he, 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 you can't miss him. But, like he, he's one of those celebrities that you know, anywhere he walks, pretty much all the heads turn. You, you at least know he's there. And you know, he's like six foot three. He's pretty imposing. And, and I saw him walking up, and I, I noticed he was walking next to someone, but I didn't bother to look at who, the, who looking at who that someone was. So he comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, I'm Will. It's really nice to meet you." I said, "Hi, I'm Sid. It's nice to meet you." And I turned. Like I was like it was, it's like I was practicing. I was like I wanted to make sure I turned and didn't be like, oh my god, I've loved you since nice to meet you, you know, like anything like that. But as I turned, the guy next to him goes, uh, I guess I'm Tommy. <laughs> I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> All right, so Tommy Lee Jones was the, was the guy in the hat that I wasn't looking at. So that was my the first impression I gave him, which was unfortunate. Um, but it was it was great, you know, working with both of them. It was it was, uh, it was especially interesting just to see the. Uh, Market difference in in like uh, in in the way they approach the job. I don't know. It was a it was a it was a, it was a good day. <laughs> Did you learn a lot from them, and something that you could take and use in your own career? I th- well, I think uh, what I learned is their personalities are a huge part of you know their the persona they are like the, the actors they are. You know, like uh, uh, at one point we, we did. A whole bunch of takes of this scene where, where I was just basically handing off a sandwich to Tommy Lee Jones, and both of them went off to a cab. And in, in between a couple of the takes, like you know, we go on. We probably did like fifteen or so takes. And after after like seven takes or so, Will Smith starts doing his change. When here we go, man in black. Here we go, clap clap. He does that like five six times. And it's just him, and then a bunch of us all you know, like we're, we're clapping along. When he's done with it, he goes, "See, that's how you make a movie, Tommy." And it, like it, it, it was it was a uh, it was nice to see the difference in like Tommy Lee Jones is extremely serious. Takes you know everything's all about business. 
and we'll circle it every now and again. We'll just like lighten the mood by making everyone laugh. Who's out of fun? Now, when you first saw Tommy Lee Jones and and uh, Will Smith on set, what was the first thing that that flashed in your head about them? Like maybe a movie or a TV that they were in. Uh, it, it wasn't really like that. Like I just Tommy Lee Jones, the, the role I always associate him with is um, his role in The Fugitive. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite. Uh, movie roles that I can remember in my lifetime. Um, Will Smith, like literally, since since parents just don't, under, don't understand, uh, like his entire career is is, is uh, I, I'm a fan of basically that entire library. So he's just like when when he was walking up, I was like, holy crap, I'm meeting Will Smith. That's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Didn't imagine that when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> now, knowing that you've been on Tech and Talk and everything, and that was probably one of the most. Uh, broadcasted commercials I've ever seen. Uh, it was on all the time, and it was always on primetime locations. Do people come up to you and, and relate to you as, as Chad? You know, do they recognize you right offhand? Very rarely. Actually, when it was, like, in the two years that it was running, the handful of times that people were like, hey, was that you? I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, I got like, to sit in that makeup chair for 30 to 40 minutes. They got to do all this stuff to my hair. They got to paste the rodent to my lip. I'm like, and then you, like, so the times that, that I was recognized close, I was a little bit surprised. Um, and then there, 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 were, there have been other times that, you know, I'd be out, we'd be watching a game or whatever, and one of the commercials would come on, and whether my friends make it, bring attention to it or not, that's what people start realizing. But, uh, yeah, that hasn't been really an issue at all. I think it's been more of an issue for Unjul, uh, the guy who plays Runji, because that's basically just him, but geekified up a little bit. Like, like, he doesn't have to, you know, paint the mustache on or anything like that. He just has to part his hair differently. It's, um, like, his kids make fun of him. But, like, other than that, like, it's easy to recognize him. Uh, so that that wasn't really an issue as much for me, which was good and bad. I mean, like, it, it, it's great when, when you know, someone says they think you're funny or whatever. Like, But it's also, um, it was also good that I wasn't identified, that I wasn't, you know, like, pigeonholed to that for other roles that I went out for. So. Yeah, that was my next question about pigeonholing, because sometimes, you know, these people get stuck in these roles, and that's all they're ever seen as. And no matter how hard they they try to break it, they can't. And sometimes that can actually hurt your career than more than help it. Um, what what do you hope that, I mean, I'm trying to, when that, I'm glad that hasn't happened to you, but what do you think, how do you think uh, actors that are stuck in that type of uh, scenario can get out of that. Like one of the probably the ones you'll you'll recognize right offhand is Urkel. You know, uh, Jaleel White. He'll always be Urkel, no matter where he goes. He's going to be Urkel. Um, how do you think people can get over that as an actor? I, I love that that's the example you brought up because I actually saw I uh, met him briefly at, after a screening of a film that he did a couple years ago, and that guy's jacked. <laughs> I would not call him Urkel um, if he was not in the mood to be called Urkel. Like, like it surprisingly. And he was great in the movie, and it was a it was a role that was completely different than you know than Urkel, you know, obviously. And um, it was great to see, and he was terrific in it. Um, but that's a very good point. I'm like, yeah, that's even even meeting him, even seeing him, like seeing how different he is. I'm still thinking, oh, that's the guy who played Urkel. That's awesome. And and yeah, like it sounds like a negative, but in all honesty, the vast majority the the vast majority of actors that who who move out here or are out here would appreciate the fact that. If they are being pigeonholed, it's because they got a job, <laughs> you know. So yeah. like, um, I'm nowhere near being pigeonholed for Chad, especially since the campaign is over. But even if I were, that would mean that I'm being given jobs that are stereotypical Indian uh, support, you know, whatever. And as long as I'm working, fine, whatever. <laughs> now the Metro PCS commercial, uh, Tech and Talk, that was really stereotypical. I, I'm sure uh, for you. How did you manage to? Uh, Not at all. No, I, I disagree with that. Those characters were actually based. Hello. I think we may have lost him. Yep, we did lose him. So maybe he'll call back in here in a second. So uh, while we wait to, for him to come back on, and hopefully he will, if anybody wants to call in and talk about uh, what we anything we talked about tonight. Uh, call in at 347-215-9512. You might be able to have the chance to talk to Sid uh, if he does call back. Give him a few more minutes. Uh, yeah, he is back. Are you sorry about that? No problem. All right, you're back on. So what were you saying? I'm now? sorry. Um, where was that? 
the uh, stereotypical. Uh, we were talking about possi- the uh, the tech and talk being somewhat stereotypical. Yeah, I, like, here's the thing: the stereotypes. Uh, like, if the stereotype is Indians working in phone support, then that's not really something that I can argue, since that's all I do. Actually, like in 2010, um, like my job in tech support, the, the days I had to take it for vacation were to shoot either Metro PCS or that show outsourced. So it's like everything I was doing was in you know tech or phone support. Um, if, if it's with regards to the to the actual characters and some of the things we say in the commercials, um, and literally those lines were directly from people that the writers knew, and the, the one writer, the lead writer was an Indian guy, and you know he, he's had a lot of experience with with computer programmers and stuff in Houston, and and just technical people, and and he gets a kick out of these things, and he's a terrific writer, and he, you know, and he basically. Uh, put a lot of those things together into these characters, and then we just made a, a couple of silly little characters. But if you go to Google, uh, it seems like we apparently made a statement about a billion Indian people. <laughs> but whatever, they were entertaining. They get they got the word out. I really had absolutely no problem with them. It's not like I saw any one of the scripts and thought, I don't know if I could do this commercial and still look, you know, my mom in the eye or anything like that. Sure. Well, I mean, it definitely made an impression, and it was probably a very successful commercial for Metro PCS. So, I mean, you definitely did your job, that's for sure. I mean, and I, and I think anybody that, that mentions Metro PCS will always think of Tech and Talk from uh, now to the end of the world. So that's a, that's definitely a good thing. You, you, you know, you guys played the part really well. I always enjoyed watching those commercials, so it's it was re- it's been a really cool opportunity for me to get to talk to you since I have watched so many of your commercials. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And um, really quick, uh, let's kind of, we only got about six minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about... Um, the the show that you did outsourced. What is outsourced, and uh, how many how many episodes did you appear in that? Um, I only did, I did the first two that were shot, the pilot and the sexual harassment uh, episode, which was like the sixth or seventh one that aired. Um, when I was cast originally, I was cast as uh, recurring if it gets picked up. So they they, they had like the the six or seven uh, like leads, and then they had three of us who were going to be. Uh, Main um, call center people. If it got picked up, we were going to be recurring, and then the, the, then they had a, you know a significant number of extras for the, just for the call staff. Um, and I shot the shot the pilot, which was great, and it got picked up. But in between the time of the first and the second episodes that were shot, both by um, by Ken Quapis, so I, like I did the two that were directed by Ken Quapis, who who developed the show. Uh, that's when the Metro PCS uh, campaign got kind of big, and when when the second when we were shooting the second one. They offered a contract for uh, six more episodes, but it would have required skipping the next round of Metro Guest commercials, and I didn't want to give up that campaign, especially when there was no guarantee that the show would last six episodes. So I had to make that choice, which was which wasn't really difficult. I mean, realistically, just given the job, but uh, it was it was it was annoying that I had to give up on uh, on outsourcing because I had so much fun with that cast and crew. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of end the show with is uh, the Indian actors are popping up everywhere on just about everything that you see. Uh, many people call it Bollywood. How great does it feel to be a part of that movement and, you know, showing people that there's another side to acting and, and you know, there's different different cultures that can be that can put their uh, history and their, and their heritage out there for other people to see? Well... Bollywood is actually a reference to Bombay, now Mumbai, in that um, it turns out like so many more movies than, than, than Hollywood does. I think it's something they started calling it in like, the 80s. They started calling um, Bombay Bollywood. Um, the infusion of Indian to Hollywood is something that is pretty much the reason that I moved here when I did. Um, like I left New York, and New York is like, I, I love New York. It was really difficult to leave. But when I left there, it was, it was pretty much because shows like 24 and movies like uh, Howard and Kumar were coming out where they were just where they were using more and more South Asian folks for anything. Like it doesn't have to be an Indian role, or it doesn't have to be a Pakistani cab driver for me to play. You know, it could just be the roommate Trevor. You know, like like um, and that that's pretty much why why I moved out here when I did, just because the opportunities were starting to increase. And I'm excited by it. I'm mean, like there, there have been so many productions that where you'll see. Uh, you know, like a, a specific ethnicity played by someone who is of a completely different ethnicity, and and that's great. That's fine. It's, it's Hollywood. It's just showing, you know, telling a story with whoever you need to use it. But as long as 
um, the opportunities, you know, abound, <laughs> then then uh, I'm off work. The more Indian rolls, the better. Awesome. Well, we're just about out of time. I'd like to see if you if you if you're up to it. Would you give us a little send off from Chad? <laughs> uh, he doesn't exist anymore. I I can absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much for talking. It's a telecom miracle. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on, and and I really enjoyed talking to you. And um, before we go, I would like you to to per, uh, you know promote any type of website that you have uh, that people can find you, see what you're up to, and maybe even communicate with you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, please if you, you check me out on Sidveda dot com. Um, that's where there and my Facebook page, uh, Sidveda. Um, you know that's where that's where you'll know about the, the next series that we have coming out, or when we'll be able to have a screening for any of the episode series that I'm doing, um, or anything else that I'm working on, or if I ever get started with stand up again. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on. It was a it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. And uh, everybody, go out and check out SidBeta.com, where you can find everything that you want to see about him and uh, check up on the stuff he has done and the stuff he is going to do. Thank you very much for coming on again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. Hey, everybody, this is Jay Underwood from uh, the original Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's uh, early 90s production, and now the uh, documentary Doomed, and you are listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. Her name is Dame Muni Ironi, and she is a philanthropist, she's a humanitarian, and she's a founder of the Arts for Peace Award. And what I've seen from her bio, she has art engulfed inside of her. She finds ways of using it to make therapy for people. This is exactly what I've been talking about for a long time. So welcome to the show, Muni. How are you doing today? I'm doing great talking to you even better. Well, you know, I, I got to read over your stuff, and it's very impressive what you've been able to do. And I truly believe that the arts are very therapeutic for people. And I think that there's a way, it's a way to express yourself. It's a way to, um, you know, curb depression, all kinds of different things. So how did you get into using art as a, as a means of therapy for people? See, I'm a martial arts person. I, I had Qigong meditation since I was seven. And then when I was nine, I was in the severe accident where I lost my memory. Uh, my scalp was so soft. Uh, you can put your finger through it. I had eight-hour surgery. The physicians had no hope for me. And they were telling my mother, you know, there's no hope for her. And they're sorry. And my mom was screaming and crying. And uh, I just couldn't see her pain. I just got up and I said, Lord, it's my best friend. And I don't know care what you said. So I went outside and I said, Lord, give me the second life and I will serve your planet. So I've been serving uh, since I was a very young baby. Mm. Um, so it's my purpose because I know uh, with art, uh, any art form, you know, it just gives you more balance. Actually, when an artist is creating, because I'm very artistic in the hair industry too, I mean, I have like 75 awards. 35 medallions. We have four times Olympics students have won. So um, art is one of the way. like when I'm creating something, you already 
in a very silent mode anyway of creation that takes away from everything in the world. You're mm -hmm. just there, you know? I hear and you. I think it's very therapeutic from musicians to dancers to singers. I know someone had a really, really tough life. Her father was very abusive. Then her first husband was abusive. Uh, through her dance, she was able to come out and and heal herself. So she has a very big dance studio in Australia. But it's interesting, you know, how art is a big healer. But I think in the schools, too, I'm promoting wisdom and art. These two things, I think we can change, have a good positive change in U.S., work hard over here, the world will be straightened out. <laughs> That's true. And, and you know what's so great about the arts, too, is that it, as you use it for therapy, it can benefit so many other people along the way. Yeah, I mean, everything that we look at, everything that we, that we see, whether it be on television, whether it be just sitting at a desk, uh, something that we eat, it's all created by some artist and some vision of that That's art. Right. And it's amazing right. that when people just take that energy, if it's a bad energy, and they can put it into something positive, they can change the world, and they just don't realize it. Yeah, but in order to do that, see, they need to have a space. Uh, they're not in the, in the zone to make that decision because they're in the dark circle, you know? Mm -hmm. In order to get them to the light, we need to start the meditation and arts right from the kindergarten. We have Think Positive World. They have already set up everything from kindergarten to the university level. They have taken a, a, just a very gangbang school and transformed that school to a positive thing. So you know there's a big hope to make a positive change. Mm -hmm. In order to do this, we need to have teachers reformed. I'm, I'm, right now I have around five schools I visited and I gave them a few things to do for the students to align them before the task in the morning, to calm them so they're not too hyper. Like after all the sugar they eat for lunch, the, the parents have packed them. There are very few parents sending them good food, so they're all hyper. So what can the teachers do? How do you handle a, a kid who is just giggling, laughing, not paying attention, you know? Right. So, if, if, so these five schools I visited, all five schools today are practicing meditation and a few things on the Qigong, and they have seen a lot. Even the, the day I was there uh, on the seventh and eighth grade, uh, after I finished, all these kids didn't want to leave me. They were just around <laughs> me asking all these questions. So the principal was very surprised. He said, usually they are out of the door, but they are with you. So, and then she saw a big change the time the students sat down and the time they left me. Uh, so there is a lot of benefit, and it all will happen as we change our educational system, workplaces, so this is why next year, September 21st, I would like to have a national and international peace day. We already have it, September 21st. I would like to have that day just for self, for me only, for you only. Mm -hmm. You meditate that day, you breathe in all day, no fighting, no yelling, no screaming. Have good summits, have good music. Uh, radio, TV constantly supporting and saying, okay, are you breathing now? Today's a peace day. Nothing to do with the gifts and all these commercial holidays, you know? You know, have made so many all these horrible holidays. I love them. It's not like I don't love them, but I can afford to have those holidays. How about those people on the skid row? How about those unfortunate kids they can have? It's, it's tough, you know? Those holidays are tough for them. You know, that is a very important thing, taking time for yourself. You know, a lot of us don't do that. And you are right. You know, that's something I didn't think about. It, you know, if we're not able to focus properly or we're not able to relax, it's, it is hard to do anything. It's hard to create something because your mind is all over the place, you know. And because, see, in, if I ask, yeah, because I have a lot of clients, if I ask them to just close their eyes for a few minutes, it's like eternity. Mm -hmm. They can't even sit quiet. You know, I can stay quiet 10 hours on the plane. That's what I do and I travel a lot. So, but they cannot do it because the mind, 
is not calm because the heart is not cultivated. So you cultivate your heart, people don't realize. Cultivate your heart, your thoughts are better, your mind is clear, your retention is better, you know, your response is better, the whole lifestyle is better. You more you manifest things, things happen to you, and you're more uh, receptive to receiving what's coming to you. Everything comes from the heart cultivation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the scientists are emphasize a lot on the brain cultivation. And you can see, I see a big difference between a brain person and a person who has cultivated the heart. Big difference in their, like, I belong to FOPAL, F-O-W-P-A-L, Federation. And we have 8,000 brothers and sisters created by our Sifu, Dr. Hong. And you will see these people are happy, content, and successful. So how did this man can, one man can do 8,000 people? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And they, and they are all from different faiths. has nothing to do with faith. Cultivation of your heart has nothing to do with the faith. You can believe in any story you like. It really doesn't matter, does it? Because there's only one universe, one God. Right. You can call him any name you want. So see, people don't realize life is so simple. And they made it so complex because of the brain. And also, when you're a brain person, you're always under distress. See, I work 14 to 18 hours a day, diligently, seven days a week. And you will not see me under distress. I'm very good in time management. I'm very good organizing my appointments. I live in multiple homes. So I I can avoid traffic useless time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I use all my time to a constructive work, you know. And during that time, I just finished one of my friends' home too. So I I do all of this, and I can and another person can do it too. It just all depends on your cultivation of your heart. Since I was very fortunate to start early, and we have kids and Thai men, and you will see these kids are happy and content. Their skin looks better. They just looks great. And I promise you, when you see them, you will say, wow, how did this happen? There's people like this do exist. I say, yes, they do exist. You just have to cultivate your heart, you know? So besides meditation, what are some ways that they can cultivate the heart? Or is meditation the, the, the best way to do it? The, well, the first thing is, is there are two kinds of nutrition we need. The nutrition for your body that eating the right right kind of food that's good for your body. It's just like broccoli is very good, but it may not be good for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I usually tell them, listen to your body. And then so you need a good food, which I eat the best food I could get my hands on. And then uh, the second one is for your soul. And the soul, it comes from Meditation and one of, one of the kind of the arts. Whatever art you know, you can have martial arts, any kind of arts. I know Qigong because I've seen the results of Qigong. People who do martial arts, you see, I have a whole bunch of at least 10 major stars in Hollywood. And they're all my people. They all, we are all have commonality. It's amazing. And they're all successful. You can see how gracefully they're getting old. I mean, older, younger, <laughs> but we have something in common, and mm-hmm. one thing is the calmness of heart, you know? Right. And you can see their ethics, too. Their ethics, the way they run their business, and they will see, they look at their life. They're not hollow, like a lot of the Hollywood people. Uh, I want popularity, I want this, I want that. They do their own things, but they're very successful in what they're doing. So we have a lot of, at least I would say 10 on my fingers are, all very good martial arts people in Hollywood. You know, I take I took martial arts when I was younger too, and it, it, it was amazing how many different ways that it helps you. It's not only just self defense, like people think. You know, it does give you a lot of things like balance, and it, it teaches you ways of um, self control and you know thinking differently. And I think that's, that's also right. very important in, in just not only life but just in general. Let me give you a simple thing, okay? A normal person in today's world, a working person, okay, I got to get up. I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do the email, and I have this project. I have to pick up the kids, and I have to cook, 
and I have to clean. Oh, my goodness, there's so much traffic out there. This is all going on, right? Mm -hmm. It's normal person life. During all this chaos that's external, they forget the body, see? Just breathing from their stomach. Breathe in, stomach out. Breathe in, breathe out, stomach flat. Breathe mm -hmm. in, stomach out. Breathe in. Just doing this will keep you completely in line, always present with your body. Because this is what happens when we have so many things allocated to do, and we must do. We forget the body. And then what happened, the separation of the, the your soul and body takes place. And in that separation, then you have a sorrow, depression, uh, loneliness. Everything comes, you know, negativity, low self-esteem. Everything comes from there. So the best thing to do and very simple and it's so easy when you're on the computer, like now you're interviewing, you start breathing from your dantian. Breathing. I'm breathing as I'm talking to you. See, so this keeps you very present at all times with your body. When you're present all the time with your body, I promise you, you will be able to face a lot of issues with calmness. Mm -hmm. You become naturally so calm that all these negative attacks that everyone goes through your life, you will be able to respond very nicely with your essence because you start developing your heart just by breathing. Wow. So, so for me, you can give me any traffic. I have traveled just last week. I was in Nigeria, 32-hour flying time plus commute time plus the wait, three hours wait at the airport, right? All of this accumulation, you're looking at a long travel, yes? Right. I, I tell you, when I landed, it happens to me every single time. I tell the hostesses, don't disturb me. I will let you know if I need something. So I stay in the state of meditation, six hours, seven hours, ten hours. So when I land, every I'm telling you, every single person, the hostesses, your skin looks so bright, you look so fresh, you look so happy. We saw you so calm. You were meditating. Oh my goodness, how did you do that? So I keep talking to these people because they're flying every day, you know. It's very high stress on, on, in the air to be a hostess. So I, I, I keep telling them, look, but they cannot imagine why it is so simple to be non-stressful. And this is the base and the key to, and I call it in a state of meditation, living in a state of meditation, when you're constantly present with your body. Just try it. Just constantly present. You will see you will be in a better place. You will see all the manifestation I do, everything comes to it, you know. I for peace of what is just a baby when you're old and even... My first event, I had 2,000 people, Shaban Theater, jam-packed. There's not even one award show in the entire Hollywood has this record. Every, even Oscars happen in a small room, okay? But not only that, we have 100 people waiting outside, and we had a huge event. And it was all done by one woman, 105 pounds. Till the very last minute, three weeks before my event, I hired the crew for the production and sound and all the stuff. Up till that point, I was all by myself in my office, and I was connecting. I have global contacts. I keep connecting with those dots. I have 62 people came in. I have royalty showed up. I have 200 people flew in with the United States. So I had a fantastic event only because I manifested house full. And all these people were saying, oh, my goodness, I don't know what she's, because my first event, right? <laughs> so I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what she's going to do. I don't think anybody's going to show up. Uh, they were all, even today, Fabregas said, how in the hell did she do it? I said, look, this is all about manifestation. Use your chi. There's a the power of your chi. And this is why I've been very successful with my global peace agenda. So I have seven projects I have put together. Because I understand peace is not going to come unless I create jobs. 
unless I have energy problem taken care of and I must have shelters for the people. The hunger needs to go away. So this is what my projects are all about. And all this project, even Art for Peace Award, I created not to make money at all. I want to have a self-sustainable shelter for men, women, children, and animals. And this shelter also will generate money. And we're going to have people in this shelter where people who want to go to work, not those people who are schizophrenic and mentally ill. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is a place where we're going to rehab them, put them to training, and put them to work. So I have Art for Peace Awards. I have Wisdom Land Projects, a huge mega project coming in Sri Lanka, India, uh, Nepal, Bangladesh. So right now I'll be going eight weeks to seven countries taking my Global Peace Project. I have electricity project. I have water project. I'm also planting the peace tree. You know, I have already done nine of them, and uh, we're also going to be building. I'm working with uh, Gary Price, mm -hmm. who is uh, building uh, the Statue of Responsibility. You know, we have a Statue of Liberty, but now we're building the Statue of Responsibility. So we just had a big event with Shiro's United, Art for Peace Award, and then we had a wonderful event uh, in Utah, planting of the tree. So these are all good programs that I have put together. And, of course, I have Think Positive World, which is a whole program put together for make a 30-day positive change. So all of this project, I think we put it together, we will have definitely... 100%, I'm sure we will have a positive change. Wow. How do you like that? That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the um, the Art Award, the uh, Arts for Peace Award. How, does, how, how do people Art get nominated Award, for that? Arts for Peace Awards have different categories, music, dance, sculpture, painting, uh, martial arts, and culinary arts. And uh, if they want to send us an email, and then, we, because we have two events that's going to come up in Bangladesh and also one in U.S., and we, I'm working on both sides because I want to give this award show to someone with a good soul mm -hmm. because I want to produce this art for Peace Award with a purpose. And they can make money. I, right now it's nonprofit, but I have never raised a penny. I've been supporting myself. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think next year I would like to just make it for profit hand it over to somebody very good who can produce and have a purpose every year. Do on your own. Because I have nine thirties I support on my own every single month. Wow. But and I don't do this for tax deduction at all. I've never claimed tax deduction because my son did not have any idea what I'm doing. Before my my my, my husband was alive, he didn't know what I was doing. So I just do everything myself. Wow, that's awesome. So no need for it. <laughs> so also Peace Award has gone global. We have a peace sign year one. We have first finger next to your heart. I have over 500,000 people globally supporting the year one uh, movement. And uh, for me, uh, peace is all about living starting from me. And I must, I must accept diversity mm -hmm. and this is one of the main issues of peace problem too all of these religious leaders have caused a lot of problems telling those followers you're the one going to heaven and everyone else will go to hell you know but the thing is you know who has time to point fingers on someone else and i always tell this religious leader look if you're awakened i know it you will never point finger on anyone. You're not capable. You become not capable of pointing finger. You become naturally loving, caring, compassionate. Uh, so just accepting diversity is the first step to say it's okay for you to be dark-skinned, it's okay for you to be Christian, Muslim, or Hindu, or Jew, or whatever. Uh, you know, but there's only one way anyway. Who am I to judge you who you are, you know? Right. So I decided I celebrate everyone's holidays, everything, from Hindu to Christian to Muslim to everything. I celebrate everybody's holidays 
I said, here is it. <laughs> Catch me if you can. <laughs> Put me in one category. You will not get it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Muni, we're about ready to run out of time. Please tell everybody how they okay. can find out more about you, how they can get involved, and uh, be a part of this uh, this wonderful movement that you're working on. Well, you can go on our website, art, A-R-T, art, number four, peaceawardswithas.org. And if you want to invest in making positive cash flow, uh, wisdomlandswithas.org. And, of course, you can send us a, an email, uh, muni, M-U-N-N-I, I-R-O-N-E, TV show at gmail.com. And I want to tell everyone, all your listeners, my heart to your heart, love and peace, we are one. And have a wonderful 2018. Well, Muni, thank you for coming on sharing some amazing wisdom. You know, it opened up my eyes a lot, too. And I wish you all the best in 2018 and beyond. Well, you'll hear from me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'll be back after you finish with this. Thank you. All Thank right. you so much. My, my pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have more, so don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop in Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hi, this is Ashley Scott, and you're listening to AME Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are about ready to close out the show. And you know, The King of Wishful Thinking played on a movie called Pretty Woman back in the, I believe it was the early 90s. And that song has always stuck in my head because I am one of those people that is consistently dreaming and wish, you know, I have a lot of wishful thinking myself. So that song, I, honestly, it fits me to a T, and I love this song. I'm, that's why I'm, that's why we play it here on the show. We want you to be a wishful thinker as well. We also want you to be a daydreamer, and that's what really makes this world go because we're constantly dreaming, we're constantly wishing, and when you wish for something hard enough, you will make it happen. So hopefully, that's a little inspiration going into the week, you know, and. Uh, Hopefully that your 2008 is starting out really well. I know mine's been pretty phenomenal already, and uh, a lot of things going on, and I'm, I cannot wait to see how this year is going to end up. I know we got a long ways to go, and I'm ready for it 100%. All right, guys, that's all we have for you today. We are wanting you to all come back next week and see what we have going on in the AME Radio Show, and to do that, you just go to the same time, same channel. If you don't know what that is, here they are. You can go to amfm247.com and listen on their 11 AMFM stations across the United States every Friday at 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can tune in again on AMFM 247 Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Both shows are completely different, so tune in each time to hear all the different guests that we have. You can find us on WKLAP.com, Internet Radio Station, every Friday at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and every Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Radio Love. That's Radio L-U-V. Don't go to L-O-V-E. You just won't reach the station. And we are proud to be on all those networks as well. We're also on iHeart and iTunes. And if you want to get those links and subscribe to it, go to our website, click on them, and subscribe. It's that easy. You don't even have to sit there and search for them anymore. That's what we try to do here. Make it easy for everybody. 
All right, that's all we have for you guys. We're going to be going to Hollywood Studios today to tape something really exciting, which we're going to be announcing here in the next couple of weeks. So keep your radios tuned and check out our website to see what we have going on. So until then, keep those creative juices flowing, guys. We will be back again next week. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.